The, uh, the title for this talk is The Struggle for Peace. And uh, I've been, one of the things that struck me as I've, as I've reread some of the scriptures that we often have at Christmas is that peace is talked about in more than one place. So we've already had read to us uh, this Christmas season, Isaiah chapter 9, but I'm going to read it again, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. And then my other favourite moment is when the angels appear to the shepherds and they, they start singing and they sing, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. And um, one of the things that the Bible means, well, what it doesn't mean, I suppose, let's start there, when it talks about peace in the New Testament primarily, it doesn't mean, um, and biblical peace is not a peaceful life in the sense of a life that is free from stress, uh, free from trouble, free from, from conflict. And the best piece of evidence for that is the life of the Prince of Peace himself, Jesus, who really from the moment he arrives in the world is faced with conflict. Herod is trying to kill him when he's a little baby. He ends up having to become a refugee. And his life um, that, that we read about in the gospel stories is full of all sorts of conflict. And he ends up, of course, um, being crucified. So it doesn't mean God does not promise us a life full, free of trouble. Uh, the second thing it doesn't mean when it talks about peace in the Bible is it doesn't mean inner peace in the sense of living in this perfectly level state of calm, unaffected by stress, indifferent to the world around us. Um, Jesus himself, again, we see in him, the Prince of Peace, that he is deeply moved by the things that he encounters. And um, on more than one occasion, we read that Jesus was troubled in his spirit. So he's disturbed inside at what he's seeing around him in the world. He weeps. He's angry. He's, he's moved with compassion in, in places. So it doesn't mean that either, this kind of this Zen-like existence where we're just floating along. Am I? I'm not on mute, am I? I'm just checking, just because I... I went to, sorry, the reason I'm asking is because I, I went to the toilet in between. But there was a worship song and I muted it because I thought I don't want everyone hearing that. But anyway, and then I'm suddenly sitting here thinking I could do this entire talk and no one would hear a word I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, right, good. Let's zone back in. Um, <laughs> Post-Boxing Day live services were probably a bad idea. Okay, so it doesn't mean trouble-free existence, nor does it mean never being troubled in internally, but here's what it does mean. What Jesus comes to bring primarily when we talk about peace is we talk about peace with God. We're invited into eternal peace with God. And uh, he comes as the great peacemaker. And that peace that he brings us is not just peace for Christmas. It's not just peace for a few days where we get to sing carols and we get to eat all our favorite foods and hopefully have a bit of a break from work. It's not just peace for a couple of days. This is peace for January. This is peace for February. This is a lifetime of uh, peace between us and God that we get to enjoy. And so it means that our relationship with God, when, when we begin to understand it in this way, is not just a relationship that is defined by an absence of strife, an absence of conflict, but by a positive presence of life and of wholeness. Um, 
And yet, the reason uh, I want to talk about this is the struggle for peace is because although that is on offer and although Jesus has absolutely um, made that possible, for, for many of us at different times, that's not the reality that we're living from. It's something that sounds wonderful and we maybe know from the scripture that that is available to us, but it's not something that we, we kind of live from. And one of the things that struck me as I've, I've read the Christmas story again this year is just the fact that Jesus comes to bring peace, but in order to bring that peace, there is real struggle. There's real conflict. So whether it is with Herod when he's a baby or when he grows up and we read, we read the stories of his life and his ministry, we see that there's conflict with, within his own family. There's conflict within the group of disciples that he forms around himself. There's conflict with the Jewish leaders. There's conflict with the governing power of Rome. There's conflict with the, the powers of darkness. So Jesus' life is one that comes to bring us peace, but it brings us peace through this huge cosmic struggle. And in the same way, we are invited into this relationship of peace with God. But also, one of the things that I think is, is helpful just to highlight to ourselves afresh is that taking hold of that peace and learning to live in that peace and in that relationship actually involves and will involve for us struggles. Ironic as it sounds, sometimes we will need to fight for peace. And, uh, and yet it's just those struggles are not always how we might imagine, and what, you know, they're not always what we think they might look like. So I just want to touch on, just in the brief time we have, three struggles that we might recognise in ourselves, in our own lives, and that we may find ourselves needing to engage with in the months ahead if we are to find peace. They are struggles that are very doable, um, when we remember that we've got one another to cheer, you know, to support each other, we do it together. We remember above all, we have the Holy Spirit who is our great helper to help us in the struggle. Um, but nevertheless, they are battles that we may find ourselves having to fight in order to take hold of and grasp the reality of the peace that God gives us. So here's the first one. The struggle to give him our cares. The struggle to give over and hand over our fears to God. Um, fear so often feels like somebody is choking us, somebody maybe even is strangling us, constricting our airways, and it can be incredibly debilitating. Um, I've had my own battle with anxiety over the years, and I know that it feels like someone has just driven a car over your chest and you can't breathe. And uh, this is a time more than ever where it feels like fear is creeping its way into our lives, almost like you imagine smoke from a fire seeping under the cracks in the door and just beginning to fill up the room. Fear um, can feel a little bit like it's doing that. And the, the trouble with constant fear and stress, and we've experienced it to an unprecedented level over the last year, is that we just begin to get used to it in the same way that if you live um, you know, with, a, with a door that doesn't quite open in your house, like for the first couple of weeks, that's really annoying, but then you just get used to the fact that it doesn't quite do what it's meant to do. And it's only when someone new comes into the house that they think, what on earth is going on? We can get, just get used to this high level of anxiety, this high level of fear and this constant worry that's in our lives. And then we begin to kind of not think it's normal. Um, but we're not made to live or designed to live, and God doesn't want us to live with constant worry, ruling and dictating our decisions and our emotions. 
And Paul speaks into this, and he does so in these verses that I imagine uh, many of us have looked at in the last year, and uh, we've probably heard them multiple times, but let's just try and hear them afresh again today. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, he says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And essentially what he's saying there is those things that cause us fear and stress and worry, bring them to God in prayer and he will give us his peace. Now, even as I say that, I can feel the internal Andy rolling his eyes. And I can even feel one or two of you rolling your eyes through the camera lens. Um, oh no, here we go again. How many times have we said this? We've just got to give our fears to God and then he'll give us his peace. We've just got to pray about it all. And the, there's a part of me that even as I say what I just said, just wants to, wants to shout out, I've tried that and it didn't work. I've been there, I prayed about it, and I still was a complete stress head. So let's talk about something that's actually practical. But when I stop and in a moment of honesty reflect on what I tried it and it didn't work actually looked like for me, now you may well be more diligent in prayer than I am, but for me in practice what it looked like is I was in the middle of something stressy or I had something that I was terrified about, I threw up a quick prayer and then I just went back to stressing about it. And then off the back of that experience, I have said, it doesn't really work. That's like a doctor giving you a course of antibiotics for two weeks and we pop the first antibiotic and say, I'm not better, therefore this medicine is not the correct medicine. You know, what we've got to do with, with the antibiotics is we've got to take the full course. And in the same way with prayer, the, the type of prayer that Paul, I think, is describing here, um, let's just imagine that we did this. Imagine if every day we took real time to come to him, to, to praise him, to give thanks to him, to persistently hand over to him all those things that scare us so much. Imagine if we did that every single day. Do we think that if we were able to do that, we might begin to experience the peace that passes understanding, that guards our hearts and minds, of which Paul writes here. I think we would. And the battle, that, the struggle that we have to fight is not to face our fear, to look it in the eye and to stare it down. It's not to, to find courage within ourselves to, to overcome these things that scare us. The battle, the struggle is a much simpler one. It's simply the struggle to give the fears to him. And if we can win that, then we receive from him the peace that passes understanding. And for some of us, the reason this is a real struggle, and this is kind of, I suppose, a struggle within the struggle, is because we actually, we struggle to believe that he cares about our fears. We struggle to believe that he cares about our anxieties. Um, and there's a verse that I love, but it's a huge truth to absorb. Paul, uh, Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And if we have trouble believing that he cares for us, we'll probably have trouble throwing our fears onto him. 
And that's where, again, the Christmas story is so helpful because it's the true story of who God is. It's not the story that we make up in our own heads about who God is based on how we feel about ourselves or what we've discovered from other people in, in the world, but it's the actual story of what God is like. And I love meditating on it. And I came across this, um, this guy called J.B. Phillips who, who writes fantasy, wrote fantasy books. And one of the, in one of the books, he kind of imagines Christmas from the perspective of the angels. And he kind of, uh, he tells the story of a senior angel who is showing a junior angel around uh, the splendors of the universe. And they go past these whirling galaxies and these blazing suns and they flit across these infinite distances of space. And finally they arrive at a galaxy with hundreds of billions of stars, which is our galaxy. And this is what he writes. As the two of them drew near to the star, which we call our sun, and to its circling planets, the senior angel pointed to a small and rather insignificant sphere, turning very slowly on its axis. It looked as dull as a dirty tennis ball to the little angel, whose mind was filled with the size and glory of what he had seen. I want you to watch that one particularly, said the senior angel, pointing his finger. Well, it looks very small and rather dirty to me, said the little angel. What's special about that one? To the little angel, the earth did not seem that impressive. He listened in stunned disbelief as the senior angel told him that this planet, small and insignificant and not overly clear, was the renowned visited planet. Do you mean that our great and glorious prince went down in person to this fifth-rate little ball? Why should he do a thing like that? The little angel's face was wrinkled in disgust. Do you mean to tell me, he said, that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures of that floating ball? I do. And I don't think he would like you to call them creeping, crawling creatures in that tone of voice. For strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. He went down to visit them, to lift them up to become like him. The little angel looked blank. Such a thought was almost beyond his comprehension. And it's not surprising really, because such a thought I think is almost beyond our comprehension. But uh, if we wanna know what we are worth to him, I've said it before, I'll say it a final time before we move on from Christmas. The place to look is not in the mirror, it's in the manger and it's to see that he gives himself to us. When we get how deeply he cares for us, then suddenly we realize that we really can cast our cares on him. So we don't have to win the struggle against our fears, just the struggle to bring our fears to him and to hand them over uh, and in exchange to receive his peace. The second struggle is the struggle to repent. Um, Sometimes we don't have peace with God because we haven't been living how he wants us to live. And we've been doing things that we know are not his will and not doing things that we know we should have been doing. And for some of us, that is a live issue now. For, for all of us, that will be at some point um, in the next couple of months, not because we're casual about sin, just because we are broken and we make mistakes, that will be a, a live issue. And so a struggle for lots of us, that will, all of us actually, that we'll have to fight at some point is that, that struggle, that battle to say sorry and to repent. 
And sometimes I have found that being around Jesus can be a surprisingly uncomfortable experience. Um, you know, we, uh, we talk about kind of having a peace with God, but uh, sometimes God puts his finger on something in our lives and we don't really like that. And uh, it's not because he wants to condemn. It's not because Jesus likes to have a go at us, point out our faults and shame us. One of the things I love about the stories of him is that all the, the, the people that society considered to be the most sinful were, were, were drawn to Jesus like moths to a flame. And they loved his company. And Jesus himself said, I haven't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. So we can be with him as sinful, broken people and know that we are totally loved, but that doesn't mean he's okay with sin. In fact, he hates it. And uh, one of the reasons he hates it in no small part is because he loves us and he hates seeing what sin does to us. He wants the best for us. So um, uh, what I have found at times is I am lacking peace in my relationship with God because he's putting his finger on something. He's highlighting a behavior, something I'm doing that's not uh, his will. And he'll do it and it's painful in the same way that like a surgeon will, if it's gonna, if a surgeon has to remove a tumor, he might have to cut open the body to do that and make the cut. Or if a, a counselor needs to bring healing to something in our past, they might get us to talk about it and, and bring all the stuff up to the surface, which again, isn't pleasant, but they're, they're exposing it in order to bring healing to it. So sometimes the Holy Spirit convicts us, puts his finger on something in our lives and that feels painful, but he's doing it to bring us to a place of wholeness. And anyone who's ever had to say sorry knows it involves a battle and it involves a struggle. But if we can come to the place of just saying to him, I turn around, I come back to you, I'm so sorry, then what we find is it's incredibly freeing. It cuts our pride off at the knees. It deflates us where we get so puffed up with a sense of self. And uh, there's a peace that is found on the other side of it because the one that we come to is a father who embraces us and who runs towards us. It's been said that the repentant life is a joy-filled one. And the reason we find joy in it is because once again, we're reminded that salvation is a free gift, that the gospel is a great treasure, that gift, that grace is given to us uh, and mercy is given to us almost with, without, without reserve, without limit, when we come asking for it and seeking it, it reminds us that salvation is, is a free gift. In the Christmas stories, they, they knew that too. And that's why Mary sings her song and the angels are singing their song and the shepherds rejoice. Um, so if we wanna know greater peace, where the struggle is not to try and live a sin-free life, although we fight that fight as well as we can, is to say sorry when we make mistakes to keep short accounts and we'll find then a deeper peace. And here's the third and the final struggle. It's the struggle to submit. And uh, the call to follow Jesus does create conflict. It creates conflict between people and it can also create conflict within us. And Paul, in his uh, letter to the Romans in chapter six and seven, he starts to talk about some of this stuff. And he talks about the old self and the new self. The new self is the part of ourselves where we've said yes to God and we wanna follow him. Um, but the old self is still putting up a fight. And that's the part of us that wants to just do things our way. And there's a conflict between those two parts of us. And it can feel like a struggle. And we can think, and I often find myself thinking this, I'll be happy if I'm in charge. If I'm in control, if I'm calling the shots, that's the way to be happy. But Jesus says the opposite, which is you submit to me. You know, you, you, the call to follow me is a call to carry your cross and die to yourself daily. And in that place, life is found. 
And Jesus models this for us in the way that he, in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, obviously doesn't want to go through with the cross, but just in that place, he wrestles with himself and with God and he wrestles in prayer and he comes to a place of saying to his father, not my will, but yours be done. Mary, I think, is a great example of this again in the story of Christmas where she's told the news by Gabriel and that news that she was going to become pregnant was huge for her. Um, The the consequences of that were great. The stigma of being pregnant outside of marriage in those days was was long-lasting and horrific. She's going to go from being low on the social ladder to being even lower. She's obviously going to be worried about Joseph. What is he going to say? Is he going to divorce me? What's going to happen? And yet her response is, even in the face of all of that, she says, may it be to me, as you have said. She submits. And winning this battle of submitting ourselves to God, come what may, uh, what it's saying is it's coming to him and it's saying, I'm going to stop trying to control everything. I'm going to stop trying to manipulate everything. I'm going to stop saying in my words, or maybe just with my actions, if you bless me and do this and do it in my way and my time, then I will praise you and then I will worship you. Instead, what I'm going to say to you, Father, is this, whether I suffer or whether I thrive, whether I live or whether I die, whether this works out how I want it to and in the timing that I've got mapped out or it doesn't, I will bless you and I will say you are good and I will give you my heart and I will trust in you. That's what submission looks like and it is a battle to bring ourselves to that place. Sometimes I've wondered, is it just ignoring reality? But that's not what it is at all. It's, it's doing what the psalmist did which is looking around them, looking at all the problems, asking all the questions, being really raw and really honest, and then saying at the end of it, yet I will praise you, yet I will worship you. And it's a choice that we make. And what we find on the other side of it is, again, freedom and a deep peace that is not easily snatched away. The way that Richard Foster puts it when he talks about the discipline of submission, he says, it frees us from the terrible burden of always having to have our own way. And so to finish, Jesus comes to bring us peace. And ultimately and primarily what that looks like is peace in our relationship with God. And if this sounds like, oh my word, I've got to fight all these battles. um, First of all, we do it with the Holy Spirit. But then secondly, consider the battles that we're talking about. This is not the struggle, number one, to overcome our fears in our own strength. It's just the struggle to give our fears to him in prayer. It's not the struggle to never make a mistake and be worthy of our salvation. It's just the battle to say sorry and to come back to him, the God of grace, where we've gone wrong. And finally, it's not the struggle to control everything, which is a battle all of us are fighting and we can never win. It's the struggle to submit and to say sorry. And as we do that, and it is hard, we find ourselves with a greater peace.